Hi folks, and welcome to another episode of the Future in Finance podcast series. This week, we're talking about CMAP topic seven, which is other direct investments. And if you're new here, this podcast is dedicated to helping you smash through those CMAP exams. Every other week, we pick one of the topics from the London Institute of Banking and Finance's study text, and we work through it together, trying to give it some pizzazz and dropping in some real world examples to help you along the way. Now, I'm delighted to tell you that she's here, she's back, and we are going to make this long-distance thing work because, holy goddammit, you've never met two people who are so tech-dense <laughs> in all of your life. Maria, I'm fucking delighted to have you back. How you doing? I am fucking delighted to be here, pal. Um, <laughs> hopefully, we can overcome our combined tech-phobia and make this work because otherwise, I'm just going to have an excuse to see you every week for a coffee and a microphone date. You, which would be a real shame, I'll be honest. Oh, yeah, it'd be shit, wouldn't it? Now, I feel like I owe all of you listeners at home a bit of an apology. It sounds like someone has tried to shove 34 tampons up my nose, and that's because nature hates me, and hay fever is a real problem. So if I sound really snotty and gross, it's because I am really snotty and gross, but neither of them have had the foresight to record things in advance, which is maybe something that we should think about doing in the future. So you're just going to have to deal with it. We managed to get our degree doing things by the seat of our pants, so why change now? Speak for yourself. I had a day-by-day list of things to do so that my dissertation was ready three weeks before the due date. I wish I could say the same. (laughs) Um, Now, as I mentioned, we're going to be digging deep into topic seven of the study text today with other direct investments. But before this happens, a little bit of housekeeping as usual. First up, the 50% off our audio study guide has ended so so sad if you missed out it definitely sucks to be you but all is not (laughs) lost we have some super big important exciting things coming up and whilst I can't share all of them with you right now because that would be too long I can give you a sneak peek into what's to come I'll be doing a completely free nearly fell over my words there a completely free one hour webinar on the tax topics of the study text it's units four and five or three and four that they're tax number one and tax number two. Now, there's no catch. There's no hidden secret terms and conditions. Put your bank details in to get into the webinar. It's literally, I've spoken to a ton of people who are struggling with capital gains tax, inheritance tax, income tax calculations, and pretty much everything in between. So there's going to be a completely free webinar. It's going to be about an hour. Keep an eye on the social media. Uh, you can jump on and ask me questions. Equally, if you're not free at the time, you can get a recording of it emailed over to you as well. So... I'll keep you posted on Instagram and on TikTok. They are the places to go to get more information on that. I also have 15 spaces available on an upcoming fast track and pre-recorded sessions at a massive 60% off. Yeah, I know. 60% off. Don't ask me what the full price is, but I know it's heavily discounted. We (laughs) already have a few spaces filled but basically it's £270 for a five-day course and it covers the entire study text. So there's only 15 spaces available because I want to run two courses, get all of your feedback and plus you'll get an hour's one-to-one with me after the course to box off anything that you found particularly tricky. So and just point confirm, is-, is there anything out there like this already? So there are a couple of providers that do offer fast-track courses. They are £600 plus each. Ooh, ouch! Yeah, so it's, I want to say it's exactly the same. It's not exactly the same. I'm going to be covering the same information because it's all based off the study text for the exams. Right. But this is going to be a little bit different because it's on a much more personal 
basis as in usually you can go on these courses there's 25 30 people in there I won't have any more than eight people in the course and the reason that it's so heavily discounted is because I want your feedback it might be that I've done a particular topic and you've gone this is great but actually you could have included x y and z or I didn't understand this so I'm actively saying you get this discount in exchange for me having some feedback on it so that I can improve it going forward sweet I mean to be honest with you it sounds like a pretty good deal mate not gonna lie I mean I know I'm biased but yeah, I mean, it's not, and by the way, I'm not paying her to say this. She said it just because she's, she's genuinely not. <laughs> well, we get to go on holiday more is how it works. <laughs> um, if you're interested in any of that, you can head on over to the website, which is www.futureinfinance.co.uk and look for the button that says early bird waitlist. All you have to do is enter your email address. It does not commit you to the course. It just means you'll be included in the email list once all the spaces have gone live and we've got loads more information. You'll also be sent over an hour's worth of material for what the course will look like, just to give you an idea and really find out if it's for you. And now, without further ado, let's drop that catchy theme tune music. Okay, so CMAP 1, topic 7, other direct investments. If you're new here, I just want to give you a quick reminder that this is not a comprehensive study guide. We're going to select parts of this topic to work through together. We aim for this to be about half an hour, so we can't get through the whole thing. If you did need something more comprehensive, then you can head on over to the website for a little bit more information, and there's loads of stuff that you can have a look at there. Now, Maria, do you know what an equity is? Something to do with horses. Absolutely categorically wrong. Incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, you've got me to explain this to you. So another word, equity, is an ordinary share. Do you know what a share is? No. That's okay. That's absolutely fine. That's exactly why I'm here. If we break it down even further, shares are basically how UK companies bring in their dollar other than the customer's. So if a company needs to bring in some big money for expansion or adjustments or whatever the case may be, they can sell shares in their company. So people or companies can buy these shares and they effectively would become a part owner of the business because they've bought a share in the business. That makes total sense. Also very interesting. Can Can you sell shares in anything, any business? You can. I'm going to come on to that later to explain what you need to do to be able to class as being able to sell shares. So that's a really good question. And I will loop back around to it in a little bit. Okay. So shares are bought and sold on the stock exchange, which is why it's usually companies that would buy shares on behalf of their clients. But you can also dabble in buying and selling shares on your own. So you might have a chunk of money that you give to a financial advisor and you say, I want you to invest this money in shares that company would then buy and sell shares on your behalf to try and make your money work for you. Equally, if you had a chunk of money and you were confident enough to understand the stock market, which I absolutely do not, you can <laughs> buy and sell shares yourself. And a lot of people do make a really good living doing that. Okay. Might In really simple terms. Sorry, I interrupted you. Say that again. I was going to say that might be a bit above my pay grade. It's above my pay grade as well, so don't even worry about it. Um, In really simple terms, the value of a share can go up or down depending on the company's performance. But because you own a share of that company, 
you would also be entitled to a percentage of their profits. So it works in two ways. You've got the share, which has a value. So if you bought a share in Microsoft really early on, you probably could have bought it for a relatively fair price. Since then, they've expanded. They're massive. They're huge. Somebody else could buy that share off you for way more than what you paid. So that's one way to make money from a share. Right. Resale value. Exactly. Resale value. But there's another way, which I'm going to come to in a second. If that business didn't do well and eventually folds, you'll have lost out big time. There's no payday for you. You don't get that money back. So that's why shares have the kind of high risk, high reward profile. They can either work out really well or it can go really terribly. So test time. Maria, have you been paying attention? And can you give us a quick recap, please? I can do. um, But all I've got going through my head is, I realized that there is a real world example. I know you gave Microsoft, but what about currently Twitter with Elon Musk fucking with the value of the company repeatedly with all of his rando tweets? So essentially you buy a share. Okay, this is where I'm at. You buy a share in a company that enables the company to raise money. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Now, depending on the performance of the company, depends on whether you get an increased value in this share or a decreased value in this share. Exactly. So at the minute, if I own Twitter shares, I'm well mad at Elon Musk because he's just playing with the company's value left, right, and center. Anything he tweets can devalue my share within three seconds. And you know what? It's really funny because you have no idea, but I have another Elon Musk example coming up. example that I've given it's not even Twitter related but it is Elon Musk related but yeah you got it bang on you have understood 100% for you yes okay now let's talk next about the word dividend and it's thrown around a lot in this unit it's thrown around a lot in the textbook and I'm not really sure how well it's explained sorry London Institute of Banking and Finance so in the textbook a dividend is described as a portion of a company's profits that's distributed to shareholders So if you own a share of a company, that company will pay you a portion of their profits in the form of a dividend. So the level of dividend that's available is dependent on the profitability of the company, which is exactly what you've said, and also their strategic decisions. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, because not all company profits are paid out to shareholders. So If you think about the example that you've used Twitter, they might keep some of their profits to one side to pay for improvements or expansion or whatever it is that Twitter wants to achieve. All of that money wouldn't always get paid out to all the shareholders. So it's kind of up to them how much they pay out. Also really important to know that not all shares are created equal. So the rights attached to a share can differ from company to company which means that some shares enable you to just be paid out in dividends and that's it. But with other shares, it gives you the opportunity to vote on certain company decisions. So it means that you get a little bit of a say as to how the companies run. So every, every company that offers shares has a document called an article of association. And if you ever need to find them, you can find it on the company's house website. And if you were an investor, you should always look at what rights are attached to the share to make sure it's the kind of investment you're looking for. So if you wanted an investment where you've got a little bit more control and you can vote towards decisions that the business is going to make, you want to look for that kind of share because some shares, you don't get that right. You will only get paid out dividends. Okay. So how, yeah. So are dividends essentially money? 
Yes. So a dividend is dividends is a payment that you would receive usually twice a year from that company. And you will only get dividends payments if the company is doing well. They will decide okay. how much they're going to pay out to their shareholders. But it's not like cryptocurrency or Haribo. No, it's, it's actual real dollar. Actual real money that would come into your bank account. As with any investment, there is risk that's associated. So direct investments in shares is higher risk because, as we've mentioned, the failure of the company can result in the loss of all your money. If the company flunks, you get nothing. So this risk can be mitigated by investing across a range of different shares in companies offering in different sectors. And I just want to dig a little bit deeper into that. So if you had a financial advisor whose job it was to invest your money, they're unlikely to invest all of that money into one company. Instead, what they do is invest in shares from a bunch of different businesses in a bunch of different sectors to mitigate the risk of any big losses. So I'm going to loop back to that real life example that I already had pre-prepared before you dropped Elon Musk into the chat. <laughs> the electric vehicle market, I don't know how much you know about it. I only know about it because I've got a friend that works in the industry and she is bigly fucking miffed. Basically... Elon Musk dropped all the prices of his electric cars dramatically and the whole market has kind of gone into some sort of disarray. I don't know exactly what's happening, but I just know that it's not great. So if you've got shares in the electric vehicle market, they may not be doing too good right now. Thank you again, Mr. Musk. So hopefully only a small percentage of your money in this example was invested in the electric vehicle market and your other investments in other kind of markets would still be holding strong or doing better than expected to accommodate for the current loss. Are you still with me? Yeah, I was mainly thinking about that Twitter story, not Twitter story, that Tesla story that uh, came out. That So I didn't realize they don't have keys. Uh-huh. You unlock them with an app on your phone. So when your phone is in proximity to your vehicle, it unlocks. The app went down and every Tesla owner in the world was locked out of their car. Yeah, I was at, um, was it a christening or a baby shower? And there was a heavy proportion of Tesla drivers there <laughs> when it went down and everybody like left the venue to get in their cars and none of them could get in the cars. And they're like, well, that's a shame, back to the bar. But yeah. I mean, in that circumstance, great. But I feel like, yeah, I it, it feels like Elon Musk is just like, he's not even chaotic neutral. He's just chaotic. And he's just like, just want to see what happens. I'm just going to do a thing. By the way, aliens exist and everyone loses their minds like it's just one tweet and he can completely change the face of two industries is that not absolutely horrifying it that should. level of power and i mean i mean i thought that the aliens exist <laughs> yeah we've not yet created the spin-off podcast but we might do now after the, the <laughs> must chat so we'll uh we'll let you know in the next episode what what it's called you can go and we'll check keep that out <laughs> Okay, next thing that we need to look at is how shares are bought and sold. So you asked earlier about buying them and selling them. So I'm sure that you've heard of the stock exchange. Yes. Even if it's only from the Wolf of Wall Street, which, by the way, if you haven't watched it yet, first of all, you're way outside the loop because it was years ago, please do not watch it with your grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, I have. I actually think I did watch it with Gramps. So yeah. I watched it with Pam and David and they open in 10 minutes. Leonardo DiCaprio is, I think, snorting cocaine out of somebody's butthole. And I was like, good, everybody's super uncomfortable now. Yeah. Yeah, so don't watch it with your grandparents, but I will loop back onto it. 
<laughs> so the stock exchange has been the London's market for stocks and shares for hundreds of years. And there are two main markets for shares. So you've got the main market and the alternative investment market. So to be listed on the main market, which Maria is the question that you asked before, companies have to conform to a bunch of strict requirements from something called the listing rules that are laid down by the FCA or the Financial Conduct Authority. And for a full listing, a considerable amount of accurate information and other info must be disclosed. In addition to all that paperwork, to get on the main market, two things need to have happened. So the company must have been trading for at least three years and at least 25% of its issue shares capital must be in the hands of the public. So the London Stock Exchange is classed as both a primary market and a secondary market. And all that that means is the primary market is where companies and financial organizations can raise finances by selling shares. They will either be coming to the market for the first time or they'll be issuing more shares to the market. That's the primary market. And then the secondary market is where investors would come to buy and sell existing shares. Does that make sense? Right. No, I'm lost. I was going to say, I feel like that's, yeah. no, that's absolutely fine. So you have the primary market, which is where shares are basically sold for the first time. Okay. So it's the first time sale in the primary market. If yeah. you then own a share that you want to sell, you would go to the secondary market to sell it. Oh, okay. So it's the difference between buying something from TK Maxx new and then selling it at a car boot sale. That is a really great example. So the primary market is where you buy it for the first time new from the company. The secondary market is effectively eBay, Facebook Marketplace, or a car boot sale, which is a, a niche these days. <laughs> no, they're well popular. I've seen so many. I love the 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 um what do they call it? The duct tape signs to lampposts at roundabouts. Those are the car boot. They're like car boot here, Sunday, the first of June. That's the idea that they just that's the sales pitch for car boots is uh sign duct tape to a lamppost at a roundabout yeah no I'm, I'm exactly the same i haven't been to a car boot in years now what we're doing this weekend <laughs> there's also something called an alternative investment market so this is mainly intended for new small companies with the potential for growth so its purpose is to enable suitable companies to raise funds by issuing shares and it allows for those shares to be traded in addition to the benefits of accesses to public finances, companies get the wider public audience and they basically enhance their profile by joining the alternative investment market. So this is like for first time buyers, for first time company owners, when you're just kicking off the ground, i.e. me in the next 18 months, that's where I'm going to go. So rules for joining this one are fewer and really less rigorous than those for joining the big boy club. Um, and they're designed for smaller companies in mind. And if you're wondering who exactly shops at these markets, I know they're not physical markets, but it might be easier to understand by imagining that they are. So we have participants that can generally be broken down into four different categories. So if you're shopping on the investment market, you're likely to bump into four kinds of imaginary metaphorical people. First of all, you've got individual and institutional investors so the person who's done their research and they want to buy and step, buy and sell stocks and shares themselves, also financial institutions whose job it is, is to invest people's money. You would see those guys there. You would see banks and other traders there who would either issue or buy or sell shares. You would also see governments, 
public institutions and corporations there. So if you remember, previously we've spoken about gilts, we've spoken about corporate bonds, local authority bonds and securities. They also get flogged on this imaginary market. And then lastly, we have the investment banks. So it's their job to issue the new shares or issue the new securities. And those are the four kinds of imaginary people that you're going to bump into on the imaginary market. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to struggle to list those four people back to you. That's fine. I've never seen that come up in exam. It's just for a wider understanding of the subject so that you've got, got that it. kind of whole piece together imaginary market, but you're not going to get why it, Yeah, why it functions, it. how it functions, but it's not, you're not going to need to recite the specifics of it. No, exactly. Okay. Now, if we swing nicely back round to dividends... I know I explained before that they're paid out by companies, but they're usually paid out half yearly. So there's an, a lot of admin that's involved with them. And what basically happens is when it's coming up to the time to pay out dividends, they take a snapshot of the list of shareholders and they pay out to those shareholders over a period of time. So it might be uh, there might be a month leeway between them taking that snapshot and then making the payments to dividends. But if in the meantime, that dividend is sold, the person who's bought it is not going to get that payment because they've already taken a snapshot of shareholders. Are you right. with me on this? Yeah. So once the date has passed, when the admin process of paying the dividends starts, the shares are called ex-dividend. Again, it's not something that you need to remember, but if you decide to work in the financial sector and you hear something that's called ex-dividend, it just means once the date has passed where the admin process has started. Right, so how do they rectify that? So say I've purchased a, a share that entitles me to dividend. Yeah. But that has been so... I don't understand. Can they then That's sell right. my share? So it would be declared, if you're going to sell your share that's due to be a dividend payout, it would be explained in there that you're not going to receive that first payment because you're at that time where the snapshot has been taken. So you wouldn't receive your payment until the next dividend payment date, but it would be made really clear when you buy and sell the share. Okay, they they someone would tell me. Yeah, it would literally be advertised in whatever this market looks like. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Cool. Got you. Now, as we saw in topic three, dividends are paid without the deduction of tax. So all that that means is that if you get a payment, it's your responsibility to declare and pay tax on it. Now, everybody gets a dividend allowance, which as of 2023 is £1,000, which had been halved from the previous year. So if you earn more than £1,000 in dividends in this tax year, you would have to pay tax on anything over that amount. And the tax allowance is dependent on whatever your personal tax banding is. So you'll either be a base rate taxpayer, a higher rate taxpayer, or an additional rate taxpayer. Uh, you don't need to remember what those rate breakdowns are because you would get given a tax table in the exam. But basically, you'd either pay 20%, 40% or 45% tax on your dividend income over the allowance, dependent on what your personal tax band is. So I'm not going to go into detail with the tax banding just because it's overly complicated and there's a lot of numbers that are thrown in. You can see it on the Instagram page, but you don't need to remember it. And I don't want to go into detail to then just boggle your mind because it's not fair on anyone no and i hate numbers so there we go okay let's have a look at the last topic that we're going to cover for today which is residential property so the vast majority of investors like you and me 
will probably only ever own residential property. And for most people, it's going to be the purchase of their own home. However, there are people who are in a position to potentially buy a second property as an investment. And there are a bunch of different benefits and advantages of this. Obviously, you've got the income that you would get from an investment property. Also, property is considered a very acceptable form of security for borrowing purposes. And the UK property market generally is highly developed and operates pretty well. On the other hand, there are a number of downsides of using property as an investment. So that can be things like location. If you buy property in the wrong area, you're going to struggle to rent it. Maria, I know you're looking for places to rent at the minute. And location is a big factor for you. So it would also, yeah, it would also be a big factor for an investor. If they don't know the area and they buy a house in a well ropey area, they're not going to get the money they think they're going to get. The other risk is that the property market is affected by overall economic conditions. So in times of a recession, letting properties might be difficult, although right now that doesn't seem to be a problem. Actually, it's difficult to find a property to rent. Yeah. And also property is a less liquid form of an investment than others. And all that that means. So when the textbook refers to liquidity, it basically means how easy is it to get your cash? So with property, it's not a liquid investment because it takes ages for you to get that money out. If you wanted to get the money out of your investment, you'd have to sell the property, which is going to take at least six weeks. And then you have to wait for the money to clear in your bank account. It is not instantly accessible cash. Therefore, it is not a liquid investment. So what I'm hearing is, if you have family members who are at high risk of kidnapping, you might need to pay a ransom very quickly. Do not invest in property. Exactly. If that's your main concern, property ain't the investment for you. Now, as with direct investments in shares that we've just spoken about, direct investments in property can be risky business for a small investor, although they've now got the buy-to-let mortgages, which have made it a lot easier. So you can basically get a mortgage that is designed to help you rent out that property. If you're looking at a career in financial advice, you'll be sick and tired of hearing about buy-to-let mortgages. Um, <laughs> we'll, we will come on to that in a later topic. So if you've never heard of it before and you're all of a sudden panicking, don't worry. Also with property, remember you have to pay stamp duty land tax. And if it's your second property, the amount of stamp duty that you pay is more than if it's your residential property. So there are quite hefty fees involved with buying a property, which means sometimes it might not be the smartest investment choice. But income from property after the deduction of any allowable expenses is subject to income tax and it's treated as non-savings income for tax purposes. And remember that capital gains tax is payable on profits made from selling a property if it's not your main home. And I think that that brings us nicely to the end of the podcast for today. That is a little bit of CMAP 1, Unit 1, Topic 7, boxed right off. Maria, how did you find it today? I mean, it's a lot heavier, isn't it? It's, I don't want to say it's dense, but it is. It's a dense topic. There's loads of different, like all the different types and styles and then the shares and it seems like a lot. Yeah, and do you know what? The textbook is a lot, and I think that's why a lot of people want that a little bit of extra support, and that's why all the lovely listeners have come back and said how helpful this is. So I'm hoping that I've kind of made a dent in this topic for you guys and made some of it a little bit easier. Yeah, and just remember that this is not a comprehensive, okay? This is just, we're just touching on some highlights to try and clear up some of the, you know, cut an intellectual 
cut through through the thicket of tax for you. If you want comprehensive, go to the website, check out the socials, click on the links, and it will take you to all the downloads and all the stuff that will give you that comprehensive guide and all of the learning that you need. I don't want to say that you've just stolen the next three bullet points, but you've just stolen <laughs> three bullet points. So thank you so much. <laughs> catch you before the website is www.futureinfinance.co.uk you can also find us on instagram and on tiktok and when i say us i mean me because maria does not have time for that shit but i do Um, (laughs) and also if there is one particular topic that you're struggling with we do still have the audio study guides available and you can buy one of the units for just a tenner which let's be honest you know it's a fucking bargain because you can't get that anywhere else so if you find that topic seven has been particularly difficult, this podcast has been helpful, but it's just not gotten you there, pop on over to the website. You can buy the audio study guide for a tenner. You'll get some visuals. It'll all get dropped nicely into your email with a nice little thank you note. Um, that's there if you need it. Now, as always, if you have any questions, if there's anything you want to know more about, or if you just want to tell me that you're studying PC Map and you fell on this podcast completely by accident, but learned something new today, which is what I get the most of and I love it, then please get in touch. We have this podcast, we have a blog, we have TikTok and all the stuff that I've already mentioned. It's been an absolute dream having you here. Thank you so much for listening and we will catch you in two weeks. Cue outro music.